You know, it's funny. I used to make a lot of New Year's resolutions, and uh, I really don't give it a lot of thought anymore. And I don't know what happened. Maybe I just care less than I did years ago. Um, or I just got tired of dealing with failure. I don't know. But would it shock you to hear that uh, at the beginning of this new year that God has resolutions? And God's New Year's resolutions has something significant to do with you. That God has New Year's resolutions about you. Not necessarily dreams or wishes or uh, hoping in heaven that this is the best year ever for you. That this is a year that Jesus, that God, through his Holy Spirit, is intentionally moving into your lives with an agenda that he is working out purposely for you. You know, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, being confident of this. Paul is saying this is something that we can be confident of. That you may not have confidence in anything else about this coming year, about your job, or about money, or about your grades, or about relationships, or about your own emotional, spiritual, or physical well-being. But this is one thing that you can be confident of, that if you're in Christ... He who began a good work on you, or in you, will complete, or if you have a New King James Version, it probably says that he will perform, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That what he started in us, he's going to complete in us, or he's going to perform in us throughout this year. That God is intentionally working in your life and in my life to bring about holiness, to bring about righteousness, and to bring about peace. Those are three huge things on the agenda of God, to bring those three things about in our lives. Luke chapter 1. I was studying uh, this passage back at the beginning of December as we were preparing for our Christmas season, and uh, it just kind of struck me that uh, how peculiar this is. This is the story of Zechariah, and Zechariah was uh, the, the father of John the Baptist. And uh, in the same way that the angels came to Mary and Joseph, the angel also came to Zechariah and told him that, that they were going to have a child. That, uh, that him and his wife were going to have a son, and they were to name him John, and that the Lord was going to mightily work through John, that he was going to be a prophet, and that he was going to blaze the trail for the coming Messiah. And this is interesting, verse 18. So he's in the temple, he works in the temple, and he goes in to light the candles, and he's in there all alone, he's doing his service, and, uh, and an angel appears. But it's not just any angel that appears, it's the angel Gabriel. Now, I don't know if that means anything significant, except that uh, it's Gabriel. And he tells him all that's going to happen, and here's Zechariah's response. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, let me give you some modern translation of what Zechariah is saying. He's actually laughing and going, you have got to be kidding me. Have you seen my wife? Seriously. I mean, she is an old woman, and you're telling me here that we're about to have a kid? That I've got to start planning for college now? No, we're, you know, we're close to retirement. 
Zechariah is looking at this angel. Okay, now I just want you to capture the the amazement of this because he's doing his job that he's done his whole life, and he's an old man now. And never, ever, ever in his life has he ever walked into the temple, lit candles, and saw Gabriel there. It wasn't like he lit the candle and go, "Hey, Gabe, what's up? Yeah, good to see you here again." This is the first time this has ever happened to him, and Gabriel is pronouncing God's plan. For this old man's life. And the old man is looking at Gabriel and said, I know you're an angel. I know you're glowing. I know I'm afraid. I know I'm down on my knees and all that kind of stuff. But there is no way what you're saying could actually come to pass. Does that strike you as odd? My wife is old. And you know what's funny about that is as we begin this new year, think about how many things in your life that you're just like Zechariah where you're looking at God and you're saying, you know, I know that this right here is broken and there's no way you can fix it. I know that this right here has sabotaged my family for generations and there's no way that you can change it. I know that that person hates me and our relationship is shattered and there's no way that you can mend what has been completely broken. That there's no way you could do what only you can do. So he's no different really from the rest of us. He's looking at the angel. Listen to what Gabriel said. Verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. He looks at Zechariah and says, okay, look, shut your mouth. And you're not going to be able to say another word until John appears, until he is born. And you know why you're shutting your mouth? Because you didn't believe me. You didn't believe that. This is Gabriel. Shut your mouth. So what's going on here? Is the angel ticked off? Is this kind of like a celestial backhand to Zechariah, you know? Like, how dare you? Don't you know who I am? Is that what this is? Is this a knee-jerk reaction? Or was God doing something a lot more profound here that maybe we can understand as we go into the new year? I think that God was shutting Zechariah's mouth so that he would have the ability to see. He was shutting his mouth so he'd have the ability to see. And see what? That God had a resolution that God had a resolution about this man's life and about the future of the rest of us. And that is that God has a resolution to bring about holiness, righteousness, and peace, not only into this man's life, but through the work of this man and through the coming of the Messiah in our lives as well. God was bringing discipline into Zechariah's life. And what's crazy about that is that God still does that. He does that to us. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that every son is disciplined. If you're not a son, you're not disciplined. God was bringing discipline into Zachariah's life so that he could see. The other day, I was in line at Five Guys, because that's part of my New New Year's resolution. Yes. If it's fat or chocolate, I will eat it. And uh, so I was waiting to order my double cheeseburger with mushrooms. And... uh, this father had given his uh, five, six-year-old son 
uh, money to go stand in line because he thought it would be cute for his son to stand in line and go up and order some extra hamburgers for their table. But this kid must have been drinking milkshakes because he's bouncing on the walls. Like he's hitting this wall and then doing a somersault over the peanuts and then grabbing them and throwing them across the room and yelling and screaming and, you know, and I'm just kind of, he's right in front of me and I'm just kind of smiling and just thinking about all the wonderful ways I'd love to love this child. (laughs) But what do you think I did? After burying him under about five pounds of peanuts, I said, you're in timeout. No, I, I did nothing because I have no relationship with this child. And I have no authority or no responsibility because there's no love. I mean, I'll, I mean, it's not like I didn't love the kid in a general sense, okay? I mean, we love all children, you know? And we fight for their protection, you know? I'm not saying that. But I mean, to be bound to this child and have a responsibility to nurture it and to discipline it, Now, his father was foregoing that responsibility. I wanted to step into it, but I couldn't. You see, the picture here is that God understands that responsibility. And God understands what love demands. And God says that he is a father, and every good father disciplines their child. It seemed like a strange word to start the new year with, isn't it? God is going to discipline you. But we have to be careful when we understand the word discipline because discipline is not used here in the way that we would understand, say, punishment. That God's not ticked off at us when he brings discipline into our lives. In fact, if I begin to believe that God has ticked off at me, and that's where discipline comes from, that God's just had enough of me, that he's angry with me, he's like, you did that again, and you told me last night you were never going to do that again. If God has ticked off at me, then guilt becomes my motivator for my life for this year. Guilt and shame. Kind of, I'm not going to do that because if I do that, it's kind of, you know, I'm waiting for the, for the anger of God. It's kind of like the guy who's afraid to get drunk because he knows that if he drinks too much, then God's going to make his wallet disappear. You know, cause and effect. That God's going to get me. That God is kind of like the universal cop, and if I speed just a little bit too much, then God's going to come out from behind the billboard and he's going to nab me. That God lives for that opportunity to really show me that he's bigger than me. And so we live a life to where we walk on glass when we sin too much. So we have our Hail Marys and we have our mission trips that we go on to try to prove to God that we're serious, that we're sorry, that we've done anything wrong to him. We go to Bible studies. Let me put it this way. We go to boring Bible studies. Because that's better penance than good Bible studies, you know? If it really bores you to tears, that's great penance. Like if you come to church and you just, you know, you just get nothing out of it, but, you know, you're just kind of, you know, you're, you know, and you're just like, I, I don't want to hear anything. I don't, I, what did he talk about? I don't know, but I went. Thank God I went to church today, you know? For what? Well, God is, I'll pass that class now, you know? That we start living this life of penance. That God has really supernaturally, celestially ticked off at me because of all the things that I know that I've done or all the things that I should have done that I didn't do. And so I keep trying to appease his wrath in my life. That's not what discipline is about. See, punishment says, you know, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. But discipline is a very different thing. I'd like to read for you. Uh, this is out of uh, 
John MacArthur's commentary. He says, We must realize that there is a great difference between God's discipline and his judgmental punishment. As Christians, we often have to suffer painful consequences for our sins, but we will never experience God's judgment for them. This punishment Christ took completely on himself in the crucifixion, and God does not exact double payment for any sin. Though we deserve God's wrathful punishment because of our, because of our sin, we will never have to face it because Jesus endured it for us. Neither God's love nor his justice will allow him to require payment for what his son has already paid in full. In discipline, God is not a judge. He is a father. Get your hands around this, that when Jesus went to the cross, he took the cup of all of God's wrath, all of God's anger, all of God's displeasure that he has against any of us for anything that we've ever done, anything that we may be doing right this second, or anything that we will ever do in the future. And Jesus on the cross drank it all. And he said, it is finished. No longer ever, for those of us that are in Christ, we will ever experience the wrath of God. None of us will ever experience the anger of God. If that's true, for some of us, we have a hard time understanding what discipline is then because we grew up thinking that discipline was when I got dad to the point to where he couldn't take it anymore and he exploded. And it was less about his love for me and more about his love for himself and not wanting to be irritated by a bunch of kids. Right? So what is discipline? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 as we come to the table. This is verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all have human fathers who've disciplined us, and we respect them for it. How much should we submit to the father of our spirit and live? Discipline is the expression of the love of the Father. It's the confirmation in our lives that we are sons and daughters. And the reality that there is no more anger for us from God. I mean, I think about my own children. And what did I desire for them when I, when I desired to bring discipline into their life? And when I think about discipline, I, I bring training into their life. I bring guidance into their life. I bring instruction into their life. The first thing I wanted them to know was who they are. I wanted them to come to a full awareness of who they are so that they could live out of the power and strength of who God created them to be and not spend their whole lives trying to measure themselves up to other people and live out of envy and what other people expect of them, but living out of the reality of who God created them to be. I also think that I want my kids to know how to live. You know, don't stick your fork in that outlet, you know. That's not how we live. It's electric, yes, but it is not a good model for living. Or don't eat out of the dog bowl. That's not, there's better food. Don't play in the toilet. You know, that's not how we live. And I wanted them to learn how to love well because I wanted them to live in peace. 
And isn't this beautiful that our Father has the same resolve for us? His resolution this year is that he wants us to live out of a deep understanding of who we are. He wants us to live out of a deep understanding of how to live our lives and a deep understanding of how to love well and live in peace. And he desires to work that beautiful thing into our lives, and he is the master craftsman. We are God's workmanship. His workmanship, his art, created for good works to express his beauty. So what is it revealing? Let's go to Hebrews 12, verse 10. Our Father disciplines us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So God's discipline, as we've said, produces three things in my life. Holiness, righteousness, and peace. First, I get to share in his holiness. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, go back a page. In verse 14, it says that because by one sacrifice, the work of Christ on the cross, he is made perfect, has made perfect, that is a complete, perfect verb forever those who are being made holy what it's talking about there is that that which has been accomplished already in our lives and us becoming holy because of the work of christ on the cross now living by holiness is bringing to the surface the reality of what's already true on the inside it's working to the outside what's true on the inside then what is righteousness simply walking in that truth living our lives reflecting that truth And then peace. Isn't it amazing that God desires for us to have peace? Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of life. In Zechariah's first words, after nine months of not being able to speak at all, John was born. He scribbled on a piece of paper. His name should be John, and they were all amazed. And then his tongue was unleashed. And what was the first things that he said after nine months of silence? Well, here's a little... Uh, clip from it. Praise be to the God, the Lord, the God of Israel. He came to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. To shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Holiness, righteousness, and peace. Isn't it crazy how God often uses hardship or discipline to bring those things about in our lives? And trust me, he's going to do that this year. There are going to be times this year it's going to be hard. There are going to be times this year that that hardship is really going to challenge you. So how do we endure that? When God is pressing his hands into our lives, when he is bringing discipline in our lives this year as children, as sons and daughters, because he desperately loves us, how do we live in that? Well, the first thing, three things quickly, is that we do what Zechariah did. We see. We open our eyes. We see it for what it is, that God is working in our lives. That this hardship is being used by the Lord to produce the fruits of holiness, righteousness, and peace in my life. And how do we do that? You do it exactly the way that my children have done it perfectly ever since the day they were born. 
when I disciplined, they would look at me and say, thank you, Father. You are wise beyond all our years. I received this discipline with great joy. Give me another. Teach me, oh great one. You know, kids, if you want to freak out your parents, all right? Now I'm speaking to those of you that are on the age of still knowing what the sound of a belt coming out of its loops mean, all right? When your parents begin to discipline, you say, thank you, for I know you are wise. (laughs) Trust me, they'll get back to you later. But think about the remarkableness of when you're going through a hard time. Think about that. Think of the radical nature of saying to God, thank you. And also saying to God, speak because your servant is listening. Teach me. I am teachable now. Bring me to your word. Bring me counsel in my life. My ears are completely open because like Zechariah, I have shut my mouth. And now I'm listening for you. Would that not be remarkable? Wouldn't it be remarkable if whatever we face this year, whatever struggles, whatever hardships come our way, that we stop first and say, thank you, Lord, for this. Because I know no matter what's going on, you have a heavenly perspective on this. And in this process, you're bringing about holiness. You're bringing about righteousness. Holiness, you are trying to birth in me the reality of who I am. You're trying to wake me up for me to be able to see who I really am because I often live in the falsehood of who I am, the insecurities of who I am, the doubts of who I am, the fears that I'm not this or that or what this person wants me to be or what that person's be. And you're trying, even through this hardship, to wake me up to the strength and the power and the reality of the holiness that exists within me because of what Christ has done in my life. Thank you. Or you're calling me to put my foot on a path of righteousness. Thank you. Or are you bringing peace into my life? Thank you. Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that when we stop and say thank you and we open our eyes and we begin to see, here's what he says to do. Chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms or your arms that hang loose. Get this picture here. This is what discipline or hardship does to us sometimes. You know, we're just, our arms are just hanging down. There's no strength in them. And weak knees, you know, the, I don't know if you've ever been mountain climbing or rock climbing in your knees, you get sewing machine legs. Have you ever seen that? You know, where? Okay, forget. All right, and you're, so your knees are weak and your arms are hanging down. And it says, strengthen those things and make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. It means those things that are out of joint can be put back into joint so that they're usable. How do we do that? Now that we see, we understand, thank you, Lord, I'm teachable. Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply that truth to my life right now and strengthen my arms and my knees. How do we do that? First thing we do is we guard our hearts. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 23, listen to what it says, because we're going to work our way for a minute through Psalm 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And what do I mean by this? There's no magical potion here. There's no formula that you've got to work. What does it mean when it says guard your heart? It simply means groan. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> when hardship comes on you, when you are under the discipline, just to oh, 
to give your heart expression of the pain of what you're going through. Let me tell you why. Because when we tell our heart to shut up, when we tell our heart it's under the weight of this discipline and this time of training, even though we see that God's working out these beautiful things in our lives, when we tell our heart, you cannot speak, then we start feeling ashamed for being hurt. We start feeling guilty for this being so hard. And guilt and shame creep in and rob us of the joy of what God's doing in our lives. So we allow our hearts to groan. And Romans chapter 8 says, all of creation is groaning. If creation can groan, certainly I can groan too, right? And so we allow our hearts to groan. And you know what's cool about that is that groaning isn't the end of my journey. Groaning is the beginning of my journey. I don't groan, 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 and then just, uh, it's just a big groan. No, groan is the beginning of the journey. Psalm 42 David said, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Hear that groan? Groan. That was pathetic, wasn't it? Some of you are much more experienced at groaning than I am. Listen to what he says. Because groaning began the journey, but listen to what ends the journey. Heart, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David let the groan be the little trampoline that jumps him over into saying, I hurt, but yet my eyes are on you. Okay, so we groan. The second thing we do is we stop our lips. What I mean by this is in verse 24 of the same Psalm 4, it says, put away perversity from your mouth and keep corrupt talk from your lips. What does that mean? It's talking about that when I groan, when I'm in pain, my flesh reaction is to complain. It's to complain. And let me tell you about complaining. Because complaining is the pornography of groaning. Did you get that? It's the cheap substitute of the reality. Complaining is my journey around my heart. Groaning is the journey through my heart. Complaining is saying that I'm blaming others for this or I'm blaming God for this, or I'm cursing the situation, or I'm looking only for relief or to only to be numb. When we shut off our heart, we, we do it by complaining. And when we shut off our hearts by complaining, painlessness becomes my God. Drink, sex, entertainment, easy living becomes the idol that I kneel down to and pray to and hope will come back into my life. That's what complaining does. So we replace complaining with thankfulness, and it reopens our eyes. We shut our lips from the complaints of the situation or what caused the situation. We allow ourselves to step into our hearts that are feeling the weight and the pain of that, and we groan, and then we say to our hearts, put your eyes on him. And that's the third thing. Our heart awakens us to fix our eyes. Psalm 4, verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. amazing that in Hebrews 12 verse 2 this whole passage of discipline starts with him saying fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame that we are to fix our eyes on him that he not only authored our faith 
but he is the one that is perfecting our faith, that he is working in our lives. It's a crazy thing about uh, the X Games. No, it's the Winter Games are coming up, right? In the next, no? Okay. And uh, thank you. All right. And so, you know, I saw this interview with these, with a snowboarder who does all the flips and stuff. And, uh, you know, and I was just laughing because that's the stuff I do when I go out there. And uh, half pipes. And uh, he said something that's really interesting that, uh, that we all have heard before. And he says, where the eyes and the head go, the body follows. So when they go up and you watch these guys before they ever start doing their flips and turns, their head and their eyes go there before their body begins to go there. And that should tell us something because where you look, your body goes. Where you set your gaze, your heart will run after. And God is giving us this this charge here that when we're struggling and going through hard times, let us groan, not complain. And in that groaning, let us set our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, because where we set our eyes, the rest of us will go. And that's why it says in Psalm 426, make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left and keep your foot from evil. What's beautiful about this is that we groan, we set our eyes, and then we set our hearts and minds. We partner now with the work of God in our lives. Through thankfulness, we partner with him to birth holiness, to birth righteousness, and to birth peace in our lives. Really is a beautiful thing. As we enter this new year, I promise you that God is working in your life. And I promise you that he is working to birth these things in your life. But for some of us, There's so many things in our lives that resist the work of God that for some of us, it's going to be a painful year. But he doesn't do these things because he doesn't love us or he despises us. He does these things because he loves us. And the whisper of our Father in our ear is he's saying, trust me, trust me, and lean in with me to the path that I'm taking you down. And let me tell you why this is important. And this is just a personal charge. And I think it's for some of you. For some of you, uh, it may not mean anything. But uh, we need you. This church needs you. God in his beautiful design has placed you here. And you are needed to walk in the gifts, the holiness of who you are. You are unique, and we need you. We need you to walk in the righteousness and quit being sabotaged by the the evil one that's tripping you up and to walk in the power and the glory of the peace of Christ in you, the hope of glory. We need you. And some of you are leaders in this community. And some of you have been called to be leaders in this community. And God is working in your life. And it may be a hard, painful year for you. But this is a glorious year of the Lord rising you up out of your seat to fulfill the call that he has on your life right here. We need you to step in. This morning, we're going to come to the table. And we do this table because it's a table of remembrance. 
It's a table that we remember that the Lord went to the cross for us. The old is gone. The new has come. That we are new creations in Christ. We are born with a purpose. Go watch Avatar. (laughs) Talk about recreation. The beauty of purpose and power. The birth of a warrior. I wept in that movie. It's like, wow, that is our story, isn't it? And so that's our journey. So as we come to this table this morning, we come and we lay down those things that have robbed us of the power of that. And we pick up the truth that our God is not angry with us. Our God is loving toward us. We are his sons and his daughters. And he is pressing in so that we could taste the reality of what he's made us to be. That's true. No more fear. We can set our doubts aside. We are free to groan. But in our groaning, we set our eyes on the one that has promised to finish what he started in each one of us and in this community. And as we rise up and take up that mantle, this is going to be a dynamic year. It's going to be a dynamic year as we move to a new home, wherever that may be. He knows, maybe your house. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe a year that we look back on and say, we cannot believe how God used each of you in such profound ways to change the lives of those in this city and even to change this world. Yeah? All right. Let's pray and then let's prepare to come to the table. Lord, thank you for your goodness that you don't give up on us, that you don't wash your hands of your children and move on to the next child, that you are committed more so than we are with steel resolve that this is a year that you will work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight, and that, Lord, you will promise that you will finish what you started in each one of us. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that lean in, hearts that say thank you, hearts that say teach us in your holiness and righteousness and in peace. Thank you, Lord.